I'll just tell you straight out this evening, I'm, I'm using a different gizmo than I usually use, and I, I got it about uh, 10 minutes before we started service, so I really wanted to try it out to see if it was going to work. So uh, it may not function as well as what I'm accustomed to. We're glad you're with us this evening, and we're, we've come to the kind of the end of this particular section that we've been looking at on the Ten Commandments. Uh, I've enjoyed looking at the Ten Commandments, and then and, and there's several points that perhaps in the course of this evening's message that we'll make as we wind up this look at the Ten Commandments. But I think it's been an important look, an important time to look at it. But this evening we're going to look at the day that Moses broke all Ten Commandments. And uh, of course, Moses was God's man, um, and... Uh, uh, we all know that Moses' real name was Charlton Heston, don't we? So, Exodus 32:19 says, As Moses got closer to the camp, he saw the idol, and he also saw the people dancing around. This made him so angry that he threw down the stones and broke them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. Exodus 32, verses 22 through 24, Aaron answered, Don't be angry with me. You know as well as I do that they are determined to do evil. They even told me, that man Moses led us out of Egypt, but now we don't know what has happened to him. Make us a God to lead us. Then I asked them to bring me their gold earrings. They took them off and gave them to me, and I threw the gold into a fire, and out came this bull. Well, I don't know, but it sounds like a lot of bull to me here, uh, with Aaron's, uh, what Aaron's excuses was. Uh, but it's got to be one of the lamest excuses for an assistant pastor that we've ever seen. Now, while Moses is up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, the people are down at the base of the mountain and they're breaking them all. Uh, look at first uh, Aaron's apostasy here. In uh, uh, verses uh, uh, 32 through uh, 30, chapter 32, verses 1 through 6, after the people saw that Moses had been on the mountain for a long time, they went to Aaron and said, Make us an image of a God who will lead and protect us. Moses brought us out of Egypt, but nobody knows what has happened to him. Aaron told them, Bring me the gold earrings that your wives and sons and daughters are wearing. You thought men wearing earrings was maybe a new concept, or only only for pirates, but here the the sons of Israel were wearing them here. Everybody took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. Then he melted them and made an idol in the shape of a young bull. All the people said to one another, This is the God who brought us out of Egypt. When Aaron saw what, has, what was happen, happening, he built an altar in front of the idol and said, Tomorrow we will celebrate in honor of the Lord. The people got up early the next morning and killed some animals to be used for sacrifice and others to be eaten. Then everyone ate and drank so much that they began to carry on like wild people. The people were restless in the absence of their leader. And, but their faithfulness need, needed to be to God and not to a man. You see, they had put a man up on a pedestal and when you, and the pedestal really is made for for uh, vases and things like that, it's not made for people. The only thing that can happen when you put somebody up on a pedestal is that they will fall down. And so we, when, when we put anybody up or are aiming at anybody or have our eye on anybody, it ought to be on God and not on men because ultimately you know, the, the, 
best of people will fail us at some moment. They will, will be discouraged by their actions and their reactions at different times. But when that happens, it's because we have lost sight of the person that we're supposed to be looking at, and that is God. It's no excuse that they forgot Moses because they also forgot God. Psalm 106 and verse 21 says, You worked powerful miracles to save them from Egypt, but they forgot about you. This wasn't just a national rebellion against Moses, but against God. Now I think in a lot of ways that there's a real picture here of America today uh, that we're in rebellion to God. You know, Aaron caves in to the whims of the people. He's, he's the leadership that is left in charge. But uh, he's no longer leading. He's following. You know, it seems to me that a lot of church leaders today are caving in to the desires of carnal people. You know, one of the marks of the last days is people with flocking to teachers and leaders who will tickle, tickle the ears and they'll never step on their toes. You know, um, I, I know that sometimes that some of the things that I say bother some people. It bothers enough that they go out of here and they're angry at me. But it's all right. Because I, I, if I am confident enough that I am delivering the Word of God and you're angry at what you heard, that's a good thing. Because sometimes what we need is a good kick in the pants. When we deliver the Word of God, and that, instead of someone that comes along and will just tickle our ears. In fact, that is a sign of the last days that nobody's going to offend anybody. That we're just going to preach a gospel that doesn't challenge anybody to do anything. Back in Timothy 4, verses 3 through 4 says, you're going to find that there will be times when people will have no stomach for solid teaching, but will fill up on spiritual junk food, catchy opinions that tickle their fancy, and they'll turn their backs on truth and chase mirages. That's it. That's the day. That's in the world today. Now, I don't want to spend my time... Uh, uh, working over some other group or some other people, but I, I suggest to you today that the spiritual life of people today that go by the nomenclature of Christian is just a name. They have no depth to it. And they spend a lot of time in just small talk and small discussions, but not dealing with the spiritual truth and the depths of God's Word. I heard of a church sign that read, come on in, we promise not to throw the book at you. No, well, I don't make that promise. You know? The Bible is a mirror that tells us the truth so that we can make necessary adjustments. And these commandments were, were we studied, do something uncommon. They name sin. You know, it's not an affair. It's adultery. It's sin. Kids disobeying isn't just the stage that they're in. It says it's a sin. You know, Aaron fashioned this golden calf. And why a calf? Well, of course, they had just come out of Egypt where they worshipped the sacred bull. And then he does something even more foolish. He builds an altar to the Lord in front of this calf. 
trying to combine a worship of God and a pagan worship of God. Verses 5 and 6 there of Exodus 32 says, When Aaron saw what was happening, he built an altar in front of the idol and said, Tomorrow we will celebrate and honor the Lord. The people got up early the next morning and killed some animals to be used for sacrifices and others to be eaten. And then everyone ate and drank so much that they began to carry on like wild people. He's making the same mistake that many make today in trying to combine exact opposites. Trying to reconcile the Lord and the world. No, the worship and play. No, I'll be more hip and a more popular leader. No, with one foot in Egypt and another in the promised land, he is trying to serve two masters, which cannot be done. No, don't ride the fence trying to have it both ways. No, how long will you halt between two opinions is what Jesus asked. Uh, you know, Jesus said, I wish you were either cold or hot, but you're lukewarm. You make me sick. And if you really want the real translation of that word, and you, when you find in the, in the book of Revelation, the Greek word really says, Jesus says, you make me puke. He is so dissatisfied with what he sees among his church. Either get on or get off. Get in or get out. Get up or get down. You know, the, 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 here the people are getting down. There's no middle ground. You're either for him or you're against him. Um, you've heard the saying that you can take the boy out of the country, but not the country out of the boy. Well, the children of Israel had been taken out of Egypt, but Egypt had not been taken out of them. And if Egypt is a tie for the world, I'm afraid that that is what happened today. There are great numbers enlarging their membership at churches, but I'm afraid they're not taking the world out of those people. And so what we find is that the world is ever-present with inside of those communities, Rather than the Spirit of God. Israel's now living in open idolatry, and idolatry always leads to immorality. And when verse uh, 6 here, it says uh, that they, they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought uh, peace offerings. The people sat down to eat and they to drink, and they rose up to play, it says. Now, they weren't playing Parcheesi or checkers when it says that they rose up to play. We go on to verse uh, 19 here. It says, Moses got closer to the camp and he saw the idol. He also saw the people dancing around. Now, the dancing that is described here um, is, is no uh, two-step. No, but it, it was uh, a term that was used here of, uh, of a erotic and immoral dancing that was going on. And then in verse 25, it says, And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. They're all naked. You know, what a slippery slope they were on just following their leader, their, this backslidden Aaron here. And of course, God gets angry. Verses uh, 7 through 10 here, Exodus 32. The Lord said to Moses, Hurry back down. 
Those people you let out of Egypt are acting like fools. They've already stopped obeying me and have made themselves an idol in the shape of a young bull. They have bowed down to it, offered sacrifices, and said it is the God who brought them out of Egypt. Moses, I have seen how stubborn these people are, and I'm angry enough to destroy them. So don't try to stop me. But I'll make your descendants into a great nation. It's a death sentence here. God intends to kill them and to start over with Moses. It's kind of humorous here when you look at these verses because you look at verse verse 7. It says, And the Lord said unto to Moses, Go, get thee down from for thy people. So God says, Hey, go down to your people. And then when Moses talks back to God here, in verse 11, he, he says, Why does thy wrath wax hot against thy people? So they're trading the people back and forth. Neither wants to claim responsibility for this group of people. Ever done that with your kids? You know? Look what your daughter has done. Yeah? I, I, I usually say that to take you about with the grandkids. I said, look what your grandchildren have done over here. Yeah? We still do that. That's what God and Moses are doing here. They're trading them back and back and forth. You know, and God offers to Moses, uh, you know, here, this offer he made to Moses, it had to be tempting. Isn't it? You know, a lot of men would have taken that chance. Many, many quit and start over today, uh, and, but uh, not Moses. You know, he was, he was the meekest of men and he loved these people, and that's a true pastor's heart. A good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And so Moses makes his appeal here. Exodus 32. Verses 11 through 14 says, Moses tried to get the Lord God to change his mind. Our Lord, you use your mighty power to bring these people out of Egypt. And don't become angry and destroy them. If you do, the Egyptians will say that you brought your people out here into the mountains just to get rid of them. Please don't be angry with your people. Don't destroy them. Remember the solemn promise that you made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You promised that someday they would have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky and that you would give them land. So even though the Lord hath threatened to destroy the people, he changed his mind and he let them live. Now in, in the, the King James Version, the last part there, it says that God repented and he allowed them to live. And that simply means, as it's translated here as a better translation, that God changed his mind. I find that interesting. Because uh, God didn't repent of sin. He didn't have to repent for that, but he did change his mind because prayer changes things. You know, a prayer moves the hand that moves the world. You know, Hezekiah was going to die. But in response to prayer, God changed his mind and he gave him 15 more years. Hannah was barren. But in response to her prayer, Samuel, of course, was, was born to her. Moses gave God two reasons in this prayer, but I don't think God changed because of the case that Moses laid out to him because it really wasn't all that strong, you know. It didn't matter what the Egyptians think. Or, uh, what mattered was not what, what, what Moses prayed, I believe, but how he prayed. And the same is true for us today. 
When we pray from the heart, we'll touch the heart of God. Now, we pray from the mouth, and you may impress man, but only man. Now, water your prayers with some tears, and some something big will grow out of it. Exodus 32, 32, But I beg you to forgive them. If you don't, please wipe my name out of your book. In the King James Version, there, there is a, a dash in here where it says, But I beg you to forgive them. And I believe at the moment when uh, of of contrite uh, or, or brokenness and tears, I think he pa- paused here. He was speechless for a moment. You know, that, that I really think Moses cared so much for these people that he prayed this prayer with with tears. That's a language, of course, God understands. Romans eight twenty six says. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You now, it says there that sometimes we don't know exactly how to put the words together. Our emotions at the moment overcome us for the situation, and we don't know exactly how to form it. Sometimes that's why some people, we have a we have a prayer session here, we have people up here, and we're praying for somebody, and some people don't pray. They say, well, why didn't they take part in the prayer? It's because sometimes they're so overcome with the emotion of the moment are the circumstances that we're involved with. They don't know how to begin. They don't know what to say. But the promise of Romans 8 is that God understands those deep groanings that we have and the deep compassion and the feeling that we have at the moment. And He hears that more than He hears what comes. Because I've been, I've had those moments. I didn't know what to say. But yet God knew the answer. You know, I think a touching example is found here in Mark, the ninth chapter. You, you see this little boy is plagued by this disturbing problem. <clears throat> so then they brought him unto him, and when he saw him straightway, the spirit spared him. And he fell on the ground and waddled foam. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said of a child, And all times it have cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If thou can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. 
And when Jesus saw that the people come running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. The parents fear their son. The language of God understands. One person's tears for another person is a language that God understands. But we don't we don't shed our tears lightly. Because we're moved by that person and by that person. More in that involved, the tears come out. God is good. I see in that father's sincerity. Tears, simple prayer. It doesn't have to be fancy, just heartfelt. And later we see that fasting also has a profound effect on our prayers. And all of this tells me that we need to put some more passion into us. Man's apostasy led to God's anger, which was appeased by Moses' appeal. Moses' prayer saved the nation. We have prayed together and we see some amazing I remember a, a series of prayers that we were involved in. We prayed for somebody one week. We come back next week and miraculous recovery. And, and But another name came up. We prayed for them that week. And the next week we came back and another miraculous recovery. And we were on such a road. Some of you remember. What a wonderful time. What a wonderful experience we've had. Watching. Watching God save lives. So this evening, to come to the conclusion of this message, I ask you, I told you, what can we pray for? What are your prayer